People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. You're listening to Fine Music Radio and Rodney Trudgeon welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note. You may have heard that there's a play opening at the Baxter Theatre called The Beauty Queen of Lenan, a theatrical masterpiece by the acclaimed Irish playwright Martin McDonough. And it's a recipient of four Tony Awards and the winner of five Naledi Theatre Awards. And it's being presented by How Now Brown Cow and directed by Charmaine Weir-Smith. And Charmaine is with me here in the studio to talk about this play, which sounds to me intriguing, and I know nothing about it. So, first of all, obviously Irish. So tell me um, a little bit about it. And welcome, welcome, Charmaine. Thank you, Rodney. Wonderful to be here. So the play, I suppose, can best be described as a psychological thriller about a relationship between a mother and a daughter. And yes, while it's set in Ireland, the themes are so universal and the comedy is universal uh, that really it could be set in Santon or Claremont. I mean, it, it really it really <laughs> resonates with whoever has ever been in a relationship with a mother and whoever has fallen in love, because there's also a romantic element um, to the show. There are twists and turns, so I can't reveal more than that, but I will tell you that it has audiences on the edge of their seats, and it's a wonderful, wonderful, rich piece to direct and to perform. Now, the first question I want to ask you about that after your answer is, do you have to perform it with an Irish accent or do you perform it wherever you happen to be, as you said? No, it, it, it most definitely is written in an Irish dialect and particularly it's not Northern Ireland. It's not Belfast. It's set in Lenan, which is a very real place in um, Galway. And and the actors worked very hard on their accents and we got an accent coach and it is most definitely um, done in an Irish accent. But like when you watch a movie, you you hear it for the first 30 seconds and then you're in. Absolutely. And you're part of that world. Yeah, yeah. So that's interesting. So it has to be an Irish. And is it a difficult accent to acquire, to act with? The actors certainly picked it up very, very quickly. Um, but we worked with a wonderful accent coach, dialect coach, Robin Scott, who's also a wonderful actress in her own right. And we just, I mean, I find I start going into Irish when I'm <laughs> directing them because it just, it's so much part of our world. So, I mean, maybe for some actors, but um, these four just went in boots and all and do very compelling Irish accents. Give me a bit of an example of the Irish accent from the play. Or is that unfair to ask you? A it's, line no, or two? No, it's not, it's not unfair. Mean you are to me is, that's all you are. You're mean. Uh, it's, it's a very, it's a much softer accent than a harsher Belfast accent. Okay, yes, like because... I haven't done it any justice at all now. <laughs> no, because I think you're right. People often think Irish can be rather harsh, but it is the northern Belfast area. That's a very hard sound, mm-hmm. and this is a slightly more lilting sound. Yes. Is it... What sort of period is it set in? You know, the play is set in 1996, and so we... You know, we, we follow that route. There are no cell phones. There's a landline telephone. There's a lot of letter writing that happens in the play. But it feels incredibly contemporary. And that is the beauty of Madonna's writing, is that it crackles. That dialogue crackles. And relationships don't change. People are people. Hmm. And it Through feels the centuries, isn't it? Absolutely. Really? Absolutely. It's why you can watch a Shakespeare and it still feels utterly contemporary. Hmm. The ambition of Lady Macbeth and the... 
the sexual charge and taming of the of the shrew. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> All of that still resonates. So yeah, yeah, that's what good writing gives you. It's timeless. So it's clearly deserved all these awards. It's, it's a multi-award well, winning well, we play. we were very happy that we were honoured in Johannesburg. So Because oh. you've we just done thrilled. a run in Johannesburg, haven't you? We did a run in October last year, and but we've just had the Johannesburg Awards for 2022, and we did, as you as you read, we did very, very nicely. Yes, winner of five Naledi Theatre mm. Awards, and now you've brought it to the Baxter. Yes. What's a, what size cast? Is it a, is it a it's large? It's a four-hander. Oh, it's a four-hander. Mm. And the characters are? Uh, so Jennifer Stain plays the mother, Mag, um, and Julianne McDowell plays the daughter, Maureen. Um, and Maureen's paramour, her love interest, is played by Brian Hiles. And he has a brother, a character called Ray, who's played by Sven Rugrok. So it's not too difficult to, it's not unwieldy in any sense. No, no. It's been a wonderfully intimate production to direct. And when you say the audience sits on the edge of its seats, is that because, it's a, is there terror in it or, or is it just mystery or it's, what, it's, what is its leading sort it's of? A, it's a play about secrets and lies and it's explosive and it's unexpected. Mm-hmm. And so they don't, you think it's going in one direction and then it changes. And that's what I mean when I say they sit on the edge of their seat because sometimes you hear audible gasps in the audience, <laughs> oh, which is fantastic. I was going to say. And we know was, we've done our job well. Yes, and it's working. <laughs> yes. As a crew, I presume it works well together as well because I'm sure when there are various people in a play, getting on with each other is terribly important. There's, there is such a warmth with this cast. Mm-hmm. Um, we all adore each other. And I'm, I'm honestly not just saying that. We genuinely adore each other. In fact, on Friday night, we all went out together. Um, what next? Exactly. <laughs> and um, and that is, that's, that's, a, that's a blessing. You don't know when you cast a production. You don't know what the chemistry is going to be. You hope mm-hmm. it's going to be great and supportive, which is we're all very supportive of each other. But you don't know. So this really is just an, an, an additional blessing. That I just want to ask you some background material here because when you say when you cast a play, obviously the director is there. You are the one that makes the final decision, mm. aren't you? Once they've chosen you as the director, so you get asked to direct, yes, and then you choose a cast. Yeah. is that a tricky process? Well, I th- I think it's fifty percent of the play. Once or twice in my life, I haven't been happy with casting, and I wish. It's because an actor wasn't available. The actor that I wanted wasn't mm. available. And I went with somebody else and it just... <laughs> it didn't work. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't right. And I got, I got my A cast, which is so wonderful. What a, for what this, a, what for a this joy. Play. For this play, I got, my a, I got exactly who I wanted to cast. Mm-hmm. And how, Charmaine, do you think about who do you want to cast? When you read the play, do names and characters spring to mind? Do you know what? I, I, I looked at, at, at several actresses for the casting of, um, of, of the mother. Um, in, 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 my, in my head, I was holding several names, but then I held up auditions because sometimes somebody walks into a room and you haven't, they're not your first choice, but they change your mind. Mm. And in that moment, you see them, they bring you an offering of how they're going to interpret this character. And it's, it's exciting, it's wonderful, it's inventive. And you go, well, that's it. They realized <laughs> it closer to my vision. Because I always come with a very strong vision. Mm-hmm. I won't take on a project unless I, you know, I work on the play before I even hold auditions and I go, what is my vision for the production? Oh, yeah. Okay. So how long, sorry, these are back, as I said, backroom questions that I think people like to know. How yes. long would you have worked on this play before the auditions? I worked on it for about three months. 
Wow, so it's a long, yes. it's a long stretch. Yes, and you don't always get that luxury, but I did in this case. We were just coming out of COVID. I had time to sit with the material, and I had such a strong sense of how I was going to tell the story. So when the actors came into the audition and they, they made an offering, sometimes they made an offering that was... Uh, um, departing from my vision, but I knew that I could incorporate in my vision. So, mm. yeah. Or something perhaps that you hadn't thought of exactly. before. Exactly, exactly. Now, before we carry on talking, let's have some music. Charmaine, my guest here, Charmaine Weir-Smith. Uh, Brian Ferry, Roxy Music. Um, is there a special reason you chose this? There actually is. And, and I felt like maybe I should only be including music that had some sort of professional meaning to me. But this is deeply personal. <laughs> this was the song that my husband, Peter, and I danced to at our wedding. Um, and whenever we hear it, we feel mushy inside but it's a very very beautiful number and Brian Ferry uh, is a wonderful songwriter and a wonderful vocalist and so I put it on the list because it's it's my one personal offering and you're allowed to do that I encourage you to do that good let's listen
Brian Ferry, the first choice of my guest on this week's edition of People of Note, who is Charmaine Weir-Smith and is directing a stellar cast in the play The Beauty Queen of Lenan by Martin McDonough. Just let me ask you about Martin McDonough. What, uh, tell me a little bit more about him, because he certainly seems to be an award-winning playwright. He's incredibly prolific. Um, he, he's Irish and grew up for a large part of his life in London um, and has written some extraordinary pieces of theatre. I think Beauty Queen is probably his most well-known, but he's also written something called The Hangman. Um, and he's recently done a movie called The Banshees of Inishirin, which was nominated for lots of Oscars, Academy Awards, as was um, Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri with um, Francis McDormand. So he's, he's now broken into Hollywood. Yeah, which is um, a good thing. Which is a testimony to his writing, that he's writing screenplays as well. Mm-hmm. But what he does do is he just writes such amazing characters. And it's he writes that they're a gift for any actor to play. And he writes for men and women, which doesn't always happen with playwrights. Sometimes playwrights write for men better male characters than they do for female, but not him. And I suppose vice versa could be the case as well, where a woman writer would write Doesn't terribly well. Doesn't encapsulate the male experience. That's right, exactly. that's right. And, you know, just before the music we, we listened to, Charmaine, I was asking you sort of some backstage questions mm. about the auditions and all that. How is the director chosen? So uh, Daniel Galloway and Julianne McDowell are the producers of and the owners of um, How Now Brown Car Productions, which was established actually during COVID. And... What a wonderful, wonderful production house. They're all about the work, they're passionate about theatre, and they just, they're all about getting it right. So it's wonderful when you work with producers like that because they're all about how can we create the best version of this play. Mm-hmm. And then they approached me. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they think, now let's see, who can we, yeah. as you're thinking of who to act this role, the producer would think, who is the best person to direct this play for us? Yes. Yes. And Daniel, we know from, he was at the Fugard, wasn't he? At the Fugard, yes, doing yes. a wonderful job there. And now he's your producer for this. And he's my producer for this. And you're yes. smiling broadly. Well, so. I adore him. I adore him because he's he's just so passionate about the work and he has an enthusiasm for theatre. And there's just, I mean, I think to start a new theatre producing house was a tall order and a big ask. But they've done really well. I mean, this was their first production and look, look at all their awards. Mm, indeed. And they won Best Production. Oh, right, because that says something. How Now Brown Cow, what a lovely name. Yes. Um, And you're at the Baxter, are you in the big theatre at the Baxter? We're at the Pam Golding uh, Theatre, which is the main theatre. The main theatre, okay. And what about things like sets and so on? Is it quite an elaborate setup? It is a very elaborate um, set, (laughs) and it is a very detailed set designed by Greg King, who is in himself an award-winning set designer, and it really is, I think, one of the highlights of our production. Really, is just to set. look at it. Yes. Wow. Okay, and does it give a sense of being an island? Well, we have you... real rain. Oh, you do? <laughs> <laughs> well, Cape Town, that shouldn't be a problem at the moment. Um, and also then things like um, costumes. You said it's set in 1996. Yes. So I was very, I mean, obviously we're very true to the period, but I always like working with actors. And when I perform, Um, I'm an actor who likes finding my own costume. I feel like actors, you you get to know what that scene requires and you get to know, like, how should that costume feel and that fabric is wrong and the shoes are wrong, they're too high, the shoes need to be flatter. So I work very closely with the actors. So we didn't have a costume designer. We, we sourced our own costumes. 
So I would find things and then bring them to the actors. And then they would say, yes, we want to keep this, but we don't want to keep this. They would find things and bring them to me. It was very collaborative. Gosh, that's very interesting. Mm. So, in fact, they might even wear their own private clothes. Yes. I mean, a lot of my clothes from my own wardrobe landed up on Jennifer's body um, because I just knew I had the right scarf. I had the right this. I had the right. So um, that's that's the way it, it works. Mm-hmm. And even now I'm, I'm coming to perform in a production in, in February 2024 at the Baxter. And I've already started sourcing a pair of trousers, looking at shoes. You start accumulating that character over months. They're not doesn't happen quickly. Charmaine, as we know, you're both a director and an actress. Which are you doing most of at the moment? Or is it 50-50, Paul, more or less? Um, This this last year has been mostly directing because the show that I'll be doing is a new South African work um, uh, written by Rosalind Butler and directed by Craig Frymond. And um, it was in development. And so we thought we were going to do it in 2023. And now we've got our booking for 2024 at the Baxter. And then we'll transfer to Johannesburg. So it just landed up being a case of developing a new script, which is extremely exciting to do a new South African work. I'm sure. And that's why you're coming down to do that. Yes, yes. And when I say coming down because you live in Johannesburg. Yes. Okay. So it sounds, it's also, it sounds though you're just as enthusiastic about both disciplines, whether you're directing or acting. Well, I'm a storyteller. So sometimes (laughs) I want to tell the story as a performer. And sometimes I, I know that I'm, not meant to be performing that or there's not a role for me there and I want to tell it as a as a director. Okay. Mm. And also then when you are being an actor, an actress, mm. um, as an experienced director, I hope you don't interfere with what the director is doing. at all. I go completely... <laughs> she said emphatically. No, no, because I, I would find that horrific. Um, I go completely into my actor's head and acting is wonderfully selfish. I don't mean that in a negative way at all. I mean, it truly is wonderfully selfish and I... I lose myself to the character and I want to only work with directors who I can just trust to take me on that journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and I choose my directors like that. And so someone like Craig Fremont is definitely that sort of person. Okay, so we mm. get, uh, not only get to see you as a director here, but next year as an actress. Yes, can't wait. Now, your next piece of music is with Johnny Clegg. Tell me about this. As- yes, Asibonyanga. Asibonyanga. So... It's interesting because I think Johnny has been part of our lives. For so long. God rest his soul. Mm. Um, um, I mean, he's just part of the lexicon of all of our lives, isn't he? He very much um, so. So this, this song was released in 1987, and I matriculated in 1988 and went to university in 1989. And the song had so much weight in terms of the political. Nelson Mandela was still imprisoned. Um, and I remember hearing the song when I was at school, and then, but particularly, it became an anthem at university for us um, about Free Mandela, actually getting emotional thinking about it because I go back to that time. It was so powerful. It was, it was, it was an anthem, and mm-hmm. that's why I've chosen it.
Johnny Craig and Asimbonga. Asibonyanga. Asibonyanga. There you are. It does certainly have an anthem feel yeah. to it, doesn't it? And mm. immediately you hear it, you sort of it's a get up and follow me sort of song. Absolutely. And and how can we how can we make this change happen? Right. Mm. And look what happened. Fortunately yes. he lived to see it all. Yes. Uh, to all happen. Okay. My guest on 
people of note here on Fine Music Radio this week is Charmaine Weir-Smith, who's the director, a multi-award-winning director, of the play The Beauty Queen of Linan by Martin McDonough, which is opening at the Baxter Theatre on the mm. 2nd of August and runs through to the 19th of August. And we've been talking a lot about the play, and we'll come back to it, but I want to find out a bit more about you, Charmaine. Um, we've established that you're both an actress and a director, and did the acting bug bite quite early in your life? Very, very early on. <clears throat> I was fortunate to have a mother who took me to theatre, and in Durban, you would remember, there was a theatre called the Alhambra. Yes, very much so. The Alhambra Theatre, and they used to bring, you know, Brickhill and Burke used to bring That's Sound right. of Music there and Hello, Dolly. Um, all those glitzy things, yeah, all, Razzle and I, Dazzle. And, uh, yes, and I, my mother took me to see those. And then I remember particularly a moment in my life which was quite defining. My mother took me to see the pantomime Cinderella. And Peter Elliott, the actor, played Buttons. And he, I think we were in about the third row. I remember feeling very close to the grease paint and sweat <laughs> and he said um, who believes in magic who believes in magic if you believe hard enough um, it will happen I mean, something had to happen on stage yeah. and in that moment I, I thought well this is it this is it I believe I believe in magic this is it and literally from seven when they say it's a calling it really is a calling mm -hmm. and I always say to people who are sitting on the fence should I do drama I go if you're sitting on the fence it's not for you yeah. It is It is a calling. If you can see yourself doing anything else, you mustn't do it. But there never really has been anything for me. So you were seven when you saw this happen? I, I was Peter. seven and I felt it inside myself. And then and then I, 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 you know, always listened to lots of music on my record player, my vinyl records, and, and have always loved the theatre and storytelling. And I've always been a voracious reader as well. Uh -huh. um, so the world of words and... Um, and, and the movies and, you know, that's just my medium. Did your parents support you when they heard that their little girl of seven wanted to become an actress? Well, I was, I was raised by my mum and, um, and my mother absolutely was fantastic. When I said I wanted to do it, everybody else's parents were saying, well, get something else to back you up just in case it doesn't work out. And my mother went, great, do it. <laughs> so there, there, was, there was nothing else backing me up except hopefully I had some sort of talent. Well, also the fact that you were so convinced that your calling had now been discovered, yeah. that must have helped a lot yeah. as well. So how did you get into it? What did you start doing? Um, when I left school, I went to the University of Natal and there was a wonderful drama department then run by Professor Skoltz and I had a, an extraordinary lecturer called Mervyn McMurtry who really helped me find my voice as a performer, as an actress and didn't allow me to be lazy for one second. He believed in discipline. <laughs> um, but also he was great with text, which... I'm a fundamental believer that nothing exists without good writing. doesn't matter how brilliant you are as a performer. If, if the writing's not good, you're stuffed. Yeah, there's nothing to um, do with it, is there? I hope I'm allowed to say you're stuffed on radio. But, well, we'll uh, let you get away with it <laughs> this um, time. But so I, I did my honours degree there, so I was there for four years. And then I auditioned for the Loft Theatre Company, which was a very groundbreaking um, Prolific. I remember it well yes. in Durban, yes. Um, and we did, uh, and I got in, and I got in, which was fantastic and really a wonderful, wonderful grounding. Just we did such diverse theatre and um, were exposed to South African writers, South African directors, international directors, international writing. And I was in the Loft Theatre Company when I won my first award. I played Ophelia in Hamlet and I won my first Vita Award, which um, was a lovely affirmation at the age of 23 that, that you'd made the, the right that decision. That I was on the right path. <laughs> and then, you know, the way things snowball. Penny Chartres, who was a Johannesburg agent, had come down 
to watch Hamlet because a lot of her Joburg actors were in it. And then she saw me and she said, I'd like to represent you. And that's how I made my way to Johannesburg. Wow. Who was at the Loft Theatre when you were there? Who was running it? It was Murray McGibbon and Roger Dwyer. Oh, right. Okay. Who were both wonderful um, people in their own right and passionate about theatre. And I was, I was um, in a wonderful group of actors who a lot of them are still performing. Indeed. Mm. And so you went up to Johannesburg and your career took off. Yes. And I've been fortunate to... I've been fortunate to work with amazing people, and I think you've got to always work with people who challenge you. If you work with the same people all the time, I, I don't think you grow. Yeah, um, yeah. And um, it's been a wonderful, wonderful journey. Charmaine, how did the uh, directing come about? <laughs> so my friend, my friend Denise Stock, who now lives in the UK, who was also a wonderful actress, and particularly a musical theatre actress, we lived together, we shared a house. This is before I was married. And we were desperately unemployed. One, um, it was coming up to December, and we thought, we can't not have any money going into December. <laughs> so we approached Janice Honeyman at the, uh, she, she was then the artistic director at the Civic Theatre, as it was then known, which is now the Joburg Theatre. And she always directed the pantomime. That's right. And we that's said, right. Janice, please, can we do an adult pantomime, a slightly risque, fun pantomime for adults? It's not for the whole family. Denise is going to be in it. And Janice said, all right, but who's going to direct it? And out of her mouth, Denise said, Charmaine will direct it. And I was like, what on earth is she talking about? I've never directed a thing in my life. Especially but, a pantomime. Which is... You know, pantomime. But you know what? I mean, well, the one thing I know I can do is act. So if I, and I'm good with text. And, and so we had found this adult pantomime and I directed it. And it's just another string to your bow when it comes to storytelling. And I loved it. I loved collaborating with actors on the other side of it. Yeah, um, yeah. People often ask me, they say, what do you prefer? Well, when I'm directing, I direct. When I perform, I don't want anybody else to play that character. I want to play that character. <laughs> I want to tell the story. So it's not a case of preferring. It's, it's which side of the story are you telling? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that was a passionate answer. <laughs> <laughs> Charmaine, let's have your next piece of music. And here we have Kiri Tikanova, Karo mm. Ben. Now, different from what went before but now what is the reason for having chosen this so I chose it because it was the first time I realized that music is the other actor when you're telling a story um, and I use a lot of music when I'm directing I feel that um, there's a lot of power to not just creating an atmosphere but to furthering the the emotional landscape of, of a story with music. And this song I first heard in Ian e. Forster's production of A Room With A View, which probably is one of my top 10 movies. I knew the book very well. I knew Ian e. Forster's book very well, but Merchant Ivory then made the movie with Helena Bonham Carter and Maggie Smith and Julian Sands. And this is a scene where Lucy is kissed for the first time in her life by um, George Emerson. And instead of taking well, so, so there's a long paragraph in in Ian e. Forster's novel that describes how he walks towards her and what Merchant Ivory decided to do I think James Ivory was directing was to underscore it with this particular number oh. and it became a quintessential scene of love and a woman's sexuality and being kissed for the first time in Italy
Karumio Ben, sung there by Kirita Kanawa with a beautiful, creamy voice, don't you mm. think, Charmaine? She's phenomenal. Charmaine Weir-Smith is my guest on People of Note here on Fine Music Radio this week. And the reason she's here, among other things, is to talk about the play The Beauty Queen of Linan, which is opening at the Baxter Theatre this week, uh, written by Martin Donach. I can't. It sounds easier to pronounce it than to actually look at it. <laughs> yes. Madonna. I keep on thinking of Madonna. It's the easy way yes, to remember it. Exactly. Martin Madonna. And but we we're talking about your background and going into pantomime as you did as your first Am I right I sort of hinted earlier, I think pantomime must be fairly difficult to produce in that or direct I should say, in that it's meant to be funny, it's meant to be over the top, mm. it's meant to break rules and laws. Is that right? Um, it is, and it's a very heightened form of theatre. So, for example, the Beauty Queen of Lenan is firmly based in realism. You know these people, you could pass them every day, they're in your family. But pantomime, you're asking people to look behind you and to get <laughs> the audience on the journey with you takes some skill. But it's a very particular genre. And I think when people book tickets for the pantomime, they want to be on that ride with you anyway. Yes, they do. You've and they love the music. Exactly. Mm. You know, you mentioned music just now uh, when you were introducing this Karo Mio Ben and that scene from the film Room of the View. Um, does this play, The Beauty Queen of Linan, have any music? Do you know, not according to Martin Madonna, but in my production it does. Oh, really? And it absolutely. Well, I, I don't think that the playwright should say unless it's he suggests one song and it's pivotal to the show, but he leaves it up to the director whether they want to include any other music. And I have chosen to because of the answer I gave you. I feel it deepens the emotional landscape. May I ask if it's not giving too much away what music you chose? Unfortunately, it does give too much away. <laughs> I mean, it, it's quite it's quite diverse, but all of it is Irish by Irish artists. Mm -hmm. mm. Okay, so now that's another sort of mystery you've added to the play, because you've also said you don't want to give too much away anyway about the play. Because they twist and turns. They twist and turns, and now mm. the music has become a character with a twist and a turn. Yes. So he'll move on. Do you play any instrument at all? Has music played a part in your life, apart from using it in a play? Do you know, I, I actually don't. And um, if I tell you that my life, I cannot imagine my life without music. I listen to music when I'm not working all day, every day. And I have a very eclectic taste in music. And I love it when somebody says, oh, listen to this, and it's somebody I haven't found or explored yet. You know, there's always those strange lists about name five things, not your family, that you couldn't live without. Well, I think music's probably top oh, of the list. What a nice thing to say. Mm. Well, that shows a passion and a wonder, as you've said, you. it's so important atmosphere-wise mm. and emotionally in plays, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, even when you're watching those Shakespeare productions, when they use the sort of Elizabethan style of mm. music, it adds so much, doesn't it, to the period? Absolutely. So now... When this is all over, I want to know what you're going to do next. Um, I know you're coming down here next year. Exactly. I'm, I'm going back home to be with my family, who I'm missing. Uh, I've got two children, Max and Romy, and my darling husband, Peter. And then I go back, and in March this year, I directed a production of Nothing But The Truth with Selo Market Kanube. Um, um, and uh, it did so well, we sold out, that we've got a return season. So in September, I start re-rehearsals for that, and we run in October in Johannesburg at the Theatre on the Square. Um, and then I start directing a Christmas comedy at the Market Theatre. Oh, that's really, sort of pantomime-ish. <laughs> yes. 
hopefully um, a feast for the whole family and a good laugh. And then I go on a, a short holiday and by the 8th of January I'm rehearsing um, this play that we're coming down to the the Baxter with. It's called yeah. Expelled. You said about missing your family. It must be tricky if you come down for a run because you've been here presumably for a few weeks rehearsing yes. and getting it all sorted out. Then it runs for what two weeks yes and I will pop back down but I leave after opening ah. um, and then I'll pop down back down for a, a, a note session and to look after them <laughs> but yes when I'm performing I mean I'm gone for like a month so then I make sure that my family fly to come and see me um, and spend some time with me I can't go a whole month without seeing no them. of course not especially they're my people <laughs> exactly. I can't your life yes actually yes and that thing that you just mentioned about coming down after the opening mm. uh, to give notes because things can go wrong can't they they can sort of slip and slide and you can say no listen you're letting this slip no. and 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 as an actor I value my director so, so I need my director to say, oh, Charmaine, just that little moment there. It's going on a little bit too long. Tighten it there. Okay, we're waiting too long to come in with that cue. And, and my actors will always say, when you're coming down? Because they know. <laughs> they, 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 they are more than capable, brilliant as they all are, to run with the show. But it's small little technical notes. It's not about the storytelling. It's small mm -hmm. little technical notes. You just keep everything tight. Do you tell him when you're going to be in the audience or do you surprise Yes, of course. Them? No, no, no. Oh. Yes, of course. <laughs> I think you shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Keep them on their toes. Absolutely. And then at the end, suddenly appear backstage. Yes, an apparition. An apparition. Oh, there's our director. Yes. Um, Charmaine, another piece of music, Alicia Keys. Mm. Tell me why, what this is all about. So Alicia Keys is, is an extraordinary Grammy Award winning um, artist. I think she's got something ridiculous. I mean, I think it's like 16 or maybe it's even 20 Grammy Awards. But she's classically trained. Even though she's a pop star, she's classically trained. And this for me is one of the greatest love songs ever written um, and musically brilliant. I keep on falling
Alicia Keys, and that song was called Falling. Mm. And another choice of my guest on this week's edition of People of Note here on Fine Music Radio, Charmaine Weir-Smith, who is directing the play The Beauty Queen of Lenan, which opens at the Baxter Theatre this week, and by all accounts sounds fascinating. You talk about people being on the edge of their seats. You use words like psychological thriller. So is it a kind of... um, traumatic evening at the theatre and I don't mean that negatively obviously I know what you're saying Rodney you know what it's so well written there's there is humor mm-hmm. there's comedy people laugh until they don't and that's probably the best way to describe it is I mean uh, people's idiosyncrasies are reflected back at them these characters are filled with foibles and eccentricities and idiosyncrasies um, and the natural idiosyncrasies that creep into relationships uh, so people laugh they do mm-hmm. laugh and then there's something that happens in the play and you stop laughing. Yes. <laughs> and you're not giving anything away today, are you? Such a closed book. <laughs> not yes. a single thing. Um, because a psychological thriller, I mean, a thriller like that without laughs, laughs can be a very, Would very... Be harrowing. Well, yes. it can be harrowing, but sometimes theatre needs to be harrowing. Yes. You know, and there certainly an are elements of that. Yes. That are harrowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But otherwise, with the, the ability to just laugh could relieve maybe some tension every I think again. so and I think that's why the writing so clever mm-hmm. because he knows that life is not a series of harrowing incidents life is mixed with and peppered with laughter and fun and and all self-deprecation and all the other elements that and all bring. in an Irish accent as well <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I bet you're going to use some Irish music yes oh no more from her on that (laughs) (laughs) but just before we end Charmaine one of the things that always this is one of those backroom questions Mm. I like to ask one of the things and I've asked many actors this is learning words is this play um, if I say wordy that sounds negative and I don't mean that is it a script that is bristling with wonderful language so much so that's a wonderful way to describe it actually bristling with wonderful language and the language pops and crackles and it's so well written mm-hmm. how do you learn lines how do you learn long soliloquies in Shakespeare do you, do you know what you learn lines through the act of accessing that emotional arc and then when you in rehearsal you find the lines come to you I always when I battle to learn lines I always go something's wrong with the writing because because when the writing is good and and you've got that emotional arc and you're finding that in with the character the lines, when you've done them 15, 18 times in rehearsal, they become so integrated in you because of where you're going with that character. So it's easier than you think. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. Because, yeah. I mean, I've often asked one actor said to me he likes to go for long walks. Yes, and you probably find he's accessing what he's feeling emotionally with the motion with of the walking. With the motion, exactly yes. is what he said. Yes. And others have said how sitting at home, just sort of in a room, um, learning. I wait for everybody to leave my house at home, and then I just take over my lounge, and then I, I walk it out. I, I walk it with the props, with the with 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 the, the, the actions of the character. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, mm. I hope your neighbours don't. They <laughs> wonder what on earth is going on. Um, we have to leave it there, Charmaine. But I really appreciate what you've said as well about the backroom stuff. You know about um, the audition process, mm. choosing actors, choosing directors. Mm. Um, so. It sounds as though it's going to have a good run here at Cape Town. The Baxter Theatre, the play is called The Beauty Queen of Linan. It opens on the 2nd of August and closes on the 19th at the, at the main theatre at the Baxter. 
uh, presented by How Now Brown Cow Productions and directed by my guest, Charmaine Weir-Smith. Your last piece is by Bruce Springsteen. Why have you chosen Bruce Springsteen? This particular song, Dancing in the Dark, is my feel-good song. I put it on when I need to have a little bit of a lift. It's about you think you're stuck somewhere, but actually there's so much potential in you. Dancing and, in the Dark. And I love it. And I saw him live, and he was the best entertainer live ever. Oh, that can I just fit in another quick question? Have you yes. performed overseas? No, I haven't. I, oh, was, well, okay. I saw him in Johannesburg. Oh, he was touring, he and right. he was extraordinary. Extraordinary. Well, he is a bit of an icon, isn't yeah. he, Bruce Springsteen? So we're going to end our People of Note with Bruce Springsteen and Dancing in the Dark and say a big thank you to Charmaine Weir-Smith. All the best. Thank Hope you, Hope to Rocky. see you when you're here next year yes, in the play. Yes, thank you. I get up in the evening and I ain't got nothing to say I come home in the morning I go to bed feeling the same way I ain't nothing but tired Man, I'm just tired and bored with myself Hey there, baby I could use just a little bit You can't start a fire Radio's on and I'm moving round the place I check my look in the mirror Wanna change my clothes, my hair, my face And I'm getting nowhere I'm just living a dump like this There's something happening somewhere Baby, I just know you can't
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions.